Hi, I'm Winnie Da Silva. As a leadership strategist and executive coach, I've had the privilege of working with cutting-edge leaders from companies of all sizes and industries for over 20 years. Welcome to Transformational Leadership Conversations. I've created this podcast for two reasons. First, I've always wanted to share the wisdom and insights from my clients and other amazing people with everyone else. Also, during these unprecedented times, it's crystal clear how much leadership matters right now. This is a defining moment for leaders and for all of us. This podcast brings these two things together. I'm inviting you to listen in on transformative conversations where leaders share their journeys as they work through overcoming and thriving through adversity and change. Every episode, you will hear inspiring stories, insider tips, and practical ideas you can use to make a difference, whoever you are, wherever you are. I'm really lucky to work with a great group of people, very highly adaptable, comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity. Even for them, this this has been like unbelievably (laughs) difficult because nobody knows what the hell is going on or what's going to happen. Paul Pangaro is a cybernetic theorist. And one of his definitions of leadership is the uh, reduction of uncertainty. Hmm. And I I really like that. And I think now, my goodness, there is a lot more uncertainty going around. My guest today is someone I've had the privilege of working with starting about 10 years ago when he had just founded and launched Brightspot. Brightspot is a higher education strategy firm on a mission to help colleges and universities create more engaging and equitable student experiences by redesigning student services, enabling active learning in the classroom and online, and rethinking where and how people work. And since then, he's grown Brightspot from one employee to 14 employees, working with more than 90 colleges and universities, which is an industry going through enormous changes right now. Elliot Felix, thank you for being with me here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Elliot, I've really enjoyed working with you and your team over these years. I'm excited to talk with you about your leadership story as an entrepreneur and as a CEO on how you overcome adversity and navigate change. Before we get started, I'd love to hear you tell us why you started Brightspot, why Brightspot, and briefly share a little bit, one or two examples of what Brightspot's work looks like. Thanks. I'd be glad to. And I would say over my career that started with being trained as an architect, which is a great training because you learn how to define and solve problems. You learn to understand people, to communicate, to visualize, analyze, to synthesize. I started as an architect and I feel like over my career, I've maybe had two realizations. The first was after about five years in architecture practice, I didn't feel like I knew enough about the people we were designing for, and neither did most of the profession. I really wanted to better understand people so that the spaces could work for them. And so I went back to grad school, had an amazing experience at MIT, where the, the best thing about MIT is you walk the halls and everyone there is smarter than you. I feel like I went in an architect and I came out a, a designer thinking about design as a way to see the world and design and, and solve problems. Then I found my way to boutique consultancy that did research 
to understand people and served in a way to define the problem an architect was to solve. After doing that for five years, I, I came to a second realization. Uh, everybody who wanted to change their space wanted to change more than their space. So they might want a new office or a new library, but really what they wanted to do was work and learn in a new way. And to do that, you have to change more than your space. And that's really the, the founding premise of Brightspot. I saw that opportunity and founded Brightspot with that premise of changing space and services and staffing and systems together. And that's our model. One example of that, we worked with the university a few years ago. It's a small project, but maybe the one I'm most proud of and the one that illustrates our approach best, this large public research university wanted to redesign the advising process, which is pretty siloed. Students often have needs that don't align perfectly with the org chart. And advising is one of those. Historically, a lot of what happens with advising is you go one place to figure out what courses to take, and then you go someplace else to figure out what your career path might be. They had this idea, let's take this holistic approach and create a space to do it. And that was as far as they got. We came in and studied students, figured out what they were looking for, came up with a vision for this integrated advising service. And we figured out who are the different units on campus. And it ended up being more than two dozen that would participate. And then we found a way for them to share space and services and ideas and data behind the scenes. And uh, we created this new student service center. And the thing I love about it is when we talk to our client, he says, this is helping us reach students we otherwise wouldn't in wow. a way that we couldn't before. Wow. And I think that's what we're trying to do at Brightspot is, yeah. Yeah, is, is to improve the student experience and to help universities transform not just their space, but their student services, how they staff them, the systems they use all at once, which is probably four times as hard, but 10 times more impactful. Yeah. So Elliot, from what you were describing of your career evolution and thinking about what it is you do and why you do it, I'm guessing that you're actually ending up helping your clients do the same thing, right? So they have a request, oh, we need to build this you know, library. And what you're doing is you're helping them to see maybe what they really actually are asking for, what they actually really need, maybe without even knowing it, and then connecting the dots between the space and the actual outcome of what that space should be or, or could be designed to do. Yeah, I think we're always helping people understand what's the root cause or what's the ultimate goal. It's always some mixture of what they think it is and, and something else. Okay. That, that's the nature of having uh, a discovery process and making it participatory. The way that I run our company, but also the way that we do our work is in a very participatory way so that we firmly believe uh, people should have a hand in shaping their own future, mm -hmm. whether that's inside a company or with our clients. And yeah. so when you involve lots of people, it gets messy, but you also uncover new things. And that's part of why the original charge often evolves a bit because we learn and we figure things out together. And sometimes you're figuring out what to do, and that's mm -hmm. different than what you thought. Sometimes you're figuring out from people how to do it, or sometimes it's a mix. Yeah. So Elliot, tell us a bit more why you started Bright Spot. 
the ultimate goal was helping people transform in an integrated way. But I think I had a lot of secondary goals that laddered up to that. I geek out on organizational design and the idea of designing an organization that was really exciting. And I think entrepreneurship is a little bit in my blood. I think about my maternal grandfather was this amazing guy who started a garbage collection company, Clark Disposal, in 1954 in Albany, New York, and probably one of the few that had no mafia ties. He had all these amazing ideas. At that time, it was quite uncommon to actually have a truck, certainly if you were his scale, to have a compacting truck. So he invested in technology ahead of its time. And he had all these amazing ideas, like when you're picking up garbage, (laughs) getting the route right. So he came up with this idea of giving customers pink trash bags, which nobody else's trash bags were going to be pink. So that was a way to make it pretty clear which houses you hit. You just go to the ones with the pink trash bags. And the thing that was so amazing is you paid for the bags in advance. So he massively improved his cash flow because right. people basically paid for the service in it in advance by buying the bags. He was just an amazing entrepreneur. And uh, my dad actually took over that oh. company. So I think the idea of being your own boss and uh, charting your own path, that was in the background as I was growing up. So then I saw this problem and uh, thought I could be helpful. Thanks for sharing that. I love that story about your grandfather. It's interesting, just knowing you, it would be hard to imagine you not being an entrepreneur. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about some of those challenges your business has faced over the last year and how they've impacted your mindset, your team. I'll say right off the bat, it's been hard for me personally and professionally. It's not nearly as hard as what so many other people have faced who've lost loved ones and Mm -hmm. lost their jobs and really everything in between. The big challenge has been, how do you be a leader, a parent, and a teacher simultaneously? How do you divide the work in the home equitably Mm -hmm. while I'm trying to lead a small business through a pandemic that's the most disruptive thing to higher education in probably centuries? Yeah, My wife was one of the people leading the reopening strategy for WeWork. So I think we worked out a pretty good schedule. It's super isolating. Nobody's at their best. Everybody's under an insane amount of stress. This is really important to underline. I know your wife, Liz, and she's amazing and just as hardworking and ambitious as you are. The fact that you guys are really intentional about taking care of your kids, figuring out how to make it work, have it being equitable. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I've certainly done my best to make it as equitable as possible. And Mm -hmm. in, in an interesting way, I think the thing that makes that the hardest is I used to travel a lot. And and so actually not traveling was a way for me to do more at home. Yeah. Uh, it happens that there was more to do. Right. Right. <laughs> but a lot of that more was also awesome. One of the <laughs> highlights over the last few months was I, I had to dust off my architectural model making skills from 25 years ago. And with my five-year-old daughter, we made a little scale model of the castle in Arendelle from Frozen, which oh, of course she is that. fanatical about. That was a lot of fun. And I, I don't see myself doing that uh, during the regular work week. As hard as it's been, there's also been some awesome moments personally. Yeah. And I, and I think professionally, the biggest challenges have really been about how do you handle 
and adapt to uncertainty and yeah. then how do you work in new ways. And I think because our model is very participatory mm-hmm. and because we're a very collaborative team, we had to make a lot of changes pretty quickly. We had a very solid foundation because we were already working flexibly. I'm really pleased with how that has gone. And the interesting thing is that it's dangerous to compare online and and in person and to try and replicate things without thinking through how they could be different. But we're finding a greater quantity and quality of participation in a lot of the things we do. More people can make a virtual town hall than can make a physical one. And if you design that as an engaging experience, it's really great. And I've been pleasantly surprised that we've been able to adapt so quickly and engage Mm -hmm. people at a distance. I think the pandemic has brought us closer together as a team. And it's also brought us closer with our clients because we're in it to help them. And uh, caring about people is is really at the root of what we do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we did early on is we just checked in with probably 60 plus clients, just how are things going? We're here if you need us. What can we do? What are you going through? And one of the really interesting things that we heard early on was them wanting to know what their peers were doing. So we said, this is a way we can help. So we started facilitating discussions and we ended up, I think, doing three rounds of discussions with about 40 different universities where they could learn from and support each other and learn from us. I think in the face of adversity, we've also, you know, learned a lot and become more better connected. There's an acceptance of here we are, this is what we've got. And how do we make the most of what we have from being able to connect with your daughter? But same kind of thing with clients. How can we capitalize on this? Yeah, we we wrote a white paper early on Mm -hmm. uh, in April about what we thought the impact of COVID might be on higher education. I think other people have come to the same conclusion, but we see it as largely an accelerator of things that were already happening. More students learning online, more people working remotely. The other thing it's accelerated for us is we've become even more disciplined about our time. You have to be intentional about how you spend your time. I think now everybody has less time. Work expands to the time you have, right? Things take as long as you have. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Transformative Leadership Conversations, and I'm your host, Winnie Da Silva. Let's get back now to our conversation with Elliot Felix, the CEO and founder of Brightspot. What do you feel like the benefits have been as a result of everything you've just explained for your business or for your people? I think one thing we've learned is we probably don't have to travel as much. COVID is leading people to question a lot of assumptions. That's right. And uh, certainly in our business, one of the core assumptions was you probably have to see your client about once a month in person. I think it's harder to build trust at a distance. Mm -hmm. And so much of our work is about building trust with the people we're working with so that we can help them change. So we've had to do a lot of more one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. to help people you know, really get their perspective and build a rapport and feel heard. How do you feel like your leadership approach or philosophy has shifted or changed since you've learned and, and grown so much since starting Brightspot? 
or since COVID-19? It's a good question. I'm really lucky to work with a great group of people that I think is very focused on learning and development for our clients, but for themselves and Mm -hmm. very highly adaptable, comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity to different degrees, but I think certainly Mm -hmm. like much higher than average based on the nature of what it means to be a consultant. Even for them, this this has been like unbelievably (laughs) difficult because uh, nobody knows what the hell is going on or what's going to happen. Paul Pangaro is a cybernetic theorist and one of his definitions of leadership is the uh, reduction of uncertainty. Hmm. And I, I really that. like that. And I think now, my goodness, there is a lot more uncertainty going around. And so I've had to really spend a lot of time helping people figure out what they can count on, communicating much more frequently. At the height of the pandemic, I was doing a weekly briefing on our finances because that's obviously on everybody's mind Am I on top of everything? Am I going to lose my job? I was giving a weekly update, whereas we used to give a quarterly update. We're super transparent. We have Mm -hmm. transparent salary bands and everybody sees the P&L and they know what we're spending on what. We used to call their attention to it a few times a year. And this was literally every week we would talk about Hmm. what projects were moving ahead, what was slowing down what the outlook looked like. I really tried to give people as much uh, certainty as I could and be as transparent as I could. Do you think that helped? I can see where, depending on what it was you were sharing, could heighten anxieties. It might backfire, but how did people respond? Well, that is certainly a lesson that I've learned about oversharing over (laughs) the years because I default to sharing too much, probably. Mm -hmm. There's a great McKinsey article called The Dark Side of Transparency, which is maybe more doom and gloom that it actually is. Yeah. But the lesson is that uh, information without context can create more anxiety. And yeah. so I just always really tried to help people understand, here's how we're making decisions. It really came down to two things. I said, are we profitable? Mm-hmm. And if we are, there's no reason for us to eliminate positions. And if we're not, is it temporary? Mm. I think we had to make a judgment call on the second piece Because sometimes a dip in demand means that your clients don't need you as much as you thought they would. And -hmm. sometimes it means they're just too busy right now. And in the future, they're going to need you more. Mm -hmm. We had to get as much information as we could to figure out that it was really the latter. Universities are preoccupied with reopening. A lot of our work is long-term strategy. So things got put on hold right? Um, and it was only through all the conversations we had with clients that we understood that this was really a temporary condition. We've gotten through that period and we're as busy as we were before COVID hit and we're on track to hit our revenue and target for the year and actually exceed our profitability target because our costs are so much lower. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm amazingly (laughs) proud of our team for doing that. I think we've worked our butts off to do it. Your industry is higher education. So I think that says a lot, not only about where you're able to provide value and be flexible and nimble in providing value as it shifts around your client's needs. Your goal continues to be, how can I serve best? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I talked about how great our team is with uncertainty. And I think the other thing they're great with, and I think I guess they're probably related is speed. We've tried out like hundreds of things over the last five months. And a lot of them <laughs> did not work at all. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, but yeah. other things have worked very well. And, and we've learned a lot from that. So I think we also have a culture where we just, we feel comfortable trying things out quickly and seeing how they work. We certainly have our share of acting too slowly and overthinking things, but at the end of the day, we're able to move pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's built into our DNA is when we have a question, we don't stew over it internally. Like we get on the phone with a client and we figure it mm -hmm. out with them. That's what has given us more certainty in this crazy time mm -hmm. is acting on that instinct. So we've been talking to our clients more, not less, and yeah. learning from them and trying stuff out and getting feedback. And this is helpful. This isn't helpful. Let's do more of this, less of this. And uh, and, and yeah. it's, it's generally worked. Hasn't no, been easy, great. but has generally worked. I want to highlight some of the things that you've said in, in the last few minutes. One is as a leader, you do a really good job of reflecting. And then the other thing I really like is what you said about transparency. I think that most leaders default to not being very transparent, not because they're trying to hide something, but just maybe out of fear or you know concern about how things are going to land. But by being transparent while providing context to people, that's really important. That's a great summary. What are some important learning moments or lessons that continue to guide you? As you said, it's not like the pandemic's over and we don't know what's coming up. So what guides you? What helps you? What do you lean on as you think about navigating the future? We do a good job of being reflective. And I guess this is a meta comment. If anything, we may be too reflective, but, <laughs> but I think... I really try and lean on the lessons we've learned over the years. I was preparing for this podcast and I actually have an Evernote that I started seven, seven years ago <laughs> called, oh, really? called Leadership Lessons. And, okay. and when something goes right, really right, or something goes really wrong, I try and think about it and say, okay, what just happened here? I have this running list of the five or 10 big things I've learned over the year. And I, I think those, you know, those are the things that guide me. This is an imperfect metaphor, but as a leader, you need to be both a scout and a mm -hmm. shield. So you're out in front trying to figure out where things are headed, but you also have to shield your team from the, the headwinds so they can make progress, do their best work and learn so they have space to think. At times, I've gotten that balance wrong, where mm. I was like way too much scout and not enough mm. shield. shield. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do that, you get too far out in front mm. and then you lose touch with the reality, like the day-to-day -day reality of your team. Because mm -hmm. if your job is to see around corners, that, that's all well and good. And I, I see that as a key part of my job. And I, I don't lead too many of our projects these days. Mostly I try and do the, the weird thing that I think might be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. But if you get too far out in front, then you lose touch with what people are going through and then they can't follow you. So don't get too far out over the horizon or around the corner and don't change too much too fast because even if they're good at handling uncertainty, they don't know what they can count on. Mm -hmm. um, if you're changing too many things at once, then it's very 
destabilizing. I'm a systems thinker, so everything is related to everything else. So I'm always like, if we're going to change this, we might as well change this other thing. So I've learned over the years to keep the kind of scout and shield in the right balance and to be changing things at the right pace. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I've really learned is part of my impetus for starting the company was the chance to design an organization and shape a culture. Mm -hmm. Everybody, to some extent, is guided by the lessons from their past experience. There are things that that shaped me that I was like, I'm going to write that wrong. For instance, early on in my career, I worked at an architecture firm uh, and I I had a great experience. I absolutely worked my butt off. And in Mm -hmm. in those days, you had to print out your timesheet and bring it to HR to get your check, your paper check. I would bring my timesheet and HR would be like, no, we only need one week's hours. Uh, (laughs) You're like, that's what I'm handing you. That is, this says... 85 or whatever, because that's what I worked this week. So it was an incredibly demanding environment. I often joke, oh, I worked there for four calendar years, but it was probably like eight or 10 work years. And I, I wouldn't trade that experience because it was amazingly valuable. Yeah. On the other hand, one day I got reprimanded for coming in late when I showed up at 10 because I had worked until three or another time I was told I hadn't accrued the vacation and that just seemed like such BS to me. Yeah. And, and I was just like, Bright Spot's going to do unlimited PTO. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not going to be in the business of counting people's vacation. People are working hard. I'm going to trust them to take the time they need. As I designed the company, many of these decisions were based on fixing something I perceived as a problem. Add another example, Elliot. Please. Please. So another one that sticks out in my mind is really wanting people on your team to feel taken care of. For example, even though you're a small organization, you have an office manager who can do some things to take care of the team in a way that makes them feel empowered, makes them feel appreciated by you and by Brightspot. Yeah. And I strive to do that. I think sometimes we deliver on that, but I think you can also take this too far. And that's the other lesson I've learned, which is... A few years ago, I took some pressure off Brightspot. As a 12-person company, we don't have to fix every problem in, mm-hmm. in the business world and reinvent <laughs> every wheel. And you can right. make a statement, but you don't have to be a statement. And Yeah, say more about that. There's a way of operating, designing a business, delivering your products and services that allow you to do your best work, make the best impact. Mm-hmm. And I think what I was trying to do was do that for everything. Yeah. And it's exhausting. I think we had too much of an internal focus and mm-hmm. we did too much organizational development. We have it in better balance now where we're still trying to do our best work and be the best company we can be, but we don't have to be an experiment in rewriting every management practice. And sure, it probably makes people happier too. You're not me is also another lesson I've learned the hard way, which is you want to set an example, but not be a benchmark. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a terrible idea to measure the performance of your team relative to how you would do something or how long it would take. Because by definition, you're trying to hire people with different skills and experience than you have. And so they're going to do things differently. Some things faster, some things slower, lots of things differently. It's taken us a while to work on and to get people to accept that while I can set an example 
they can do things in their own way. I think that's a big lesson for many leaders because it's hard to get outside of your own head and experience to understand and be able to see things through other people's eyes and how they might approach it, even though it looks nothing like the way that I might do it. And yet there's still a standard that has to be upheld, but yet still being able to be flexible. Could you give us a little bit of a glimpse into the future? What should leaders be doing and thinking as we take on these increasing complex challenges? I think accept uncertainty as the new default okay. uh, for, for sure. And then think about what you can do to manage that and to help people adapt. That's certainly the thing that I'm super focused on, we're definitely in the moment where everybody's realizing they thought this was a sprint and mm -hmm. it's, it is most certainly a marathon. So I'm helping people think about how to manage the uncertainty, how to work at a sustainable pace. C can you maintain this pace for the foreseeable future? If not, what do we have to change? Mm -hmm. The other thing is at least in our business, how to scale our impact. And, and part of this isn't just altruism. I think there's an element of my own drive. At this mm -hmm. point in my career, helping one university at a time doesn't seem mm -hmm. like enough. Mm -hmm. So we've been looking for ways to, to do multi-client projects. We did our first one helping three universities with their reopening plans, thinking about how to change their services and operations and staffing to safely reopen part of their campus. And it was awesome. And that's definitely the future. Right now, I would suspect this is true in a lot of businesses. People have a common foe and a common disruptor, which is named COVID. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a lot of clients that have the same problem, that creates an opportunity, I think, to solve it at scale and create a network effect where clients benefit from solving it with their peers. Now that may not work in certain industries based on how competitive they are. So I think we're working on managing uncertainty. We're trying to scale our impact by helping more than one client at a time, which also helps us adapt to the fact that budgets are smaller. So mm -hmm. if you can create economies of scale, then you can still provide value that people can afford. And I think the other thing is just helping people work in a distributed way. Mm -hmm. We were always embracing flexible work where people could work in the morning at home to finish the report or then come in or work at the client site. And uh, now we're truly a distributed team and I don't see us going back. I think there's going to be a role for the office, but it's going to be much more about collaboration and mm -hmm. mentoring and connection rethinking the, the role of the workplace is something that everybody's focused on right now. And uh, we don't have all the answers, but it certainly is, is something we're thinking about so that we continue to be intentional, we continue to be flexible, and uh, we continue to help people do their best work wherever they're working from. So the uncertainty, scaling your impact, and then how to help, again, your team and probably your clients work yeah. Ways. yeah. And, and I would say the last thing, going back to this theme of COVID as an accelerator, Yeah. I think now more than ever, if you were a believer in distributed decision-making and delegating and empowering teams and like participatory kinds of approaches, I think now more than ever, those are valuable. People need 
a unifying purpose and a clear vision, but the idea that you're going to give them prescriptive direction that they execute on is just crazy pants because <laughs> the conditions on the ground are, are, are changing so fast that any kind of prescriptive plan is, is outdated even more quickly than it would have been. They need to be empowered. They need the information tools, the skills. And then a lot of it's improvisation mm -hmm. based on some agreed upon principles about how you want to operate, how you want to make decisions, how you want to allocate resources. And uh, this is something I've learned a lot from Mark, our board member, who's now at Plural. That's really what I'm focused on. How can I empower people to improvise as opposed to give them direction to execute? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was already a good management practice, yeah. but now it's even more important. The words that I'm picking up on are COVID. It's a foe, but it's also an accelerator. So what are the trends that are already happening in our world or in this industry? What are those trends and how is COVID either accelerating it or changing it? But then we go back to what we were saying earlier, which is challenging our assumptions about what works and what doesn't. And now we've basically almost have free reign to make some decisions that we otherwise wouldn't even look at. And then this idea of improv and being able to experiment and enabling and equipping people to be able to do things on the fly as needed based on the structure that I'm, I'm assuming you're providing. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we just wrote a white paper about how universities can do this, but I think it applies to lots of different organizations and lots For of sure. different kinds of leaders because it's really about, given the amount of uncertainty and the increase in the rate of change, mm -hmm. it's really all about how good you are at adapting. And That's that right. means reflecting, that means being nimble with your tools and processes, that means having a leader that sees their job as not to stop and approve things, but mm -hmm. actually to figure out what you can keep moving, how you can enable some progress, however small or large it, it may be. That's great. And what are the coordinates for Brightspot's website? Brightspotstrategy.com. Okay, great. You can access any of his white papers that he's been referring to. Those white papers uh, are not just about higher education, but can be useful for any industry or leader. Elliot, this has been really fun and informative. I love your insights and how you are weaving in what you have been doing into leading the team, leading people, trying to adapt and think differently. In my experience, you've always done that. And again, back to COVID-19 being an accelerator, I think that this has just accelerated your ability to do some of the things that you're already talking about. And I'm sure that's pushing you in ways that you're not used to being pushed, but knowing you're welcoming that. <laughs> Thanks. And you've been a absolutely crucial part of an extension to our team from coaching me personally to serving as a sounding board and advisor for developing our team we wouldn't have experienced anywhere near the success we have without your counsel and support and expertise. I thank you as well. And I hope I've connected you with lots of folks, but I, yes, have. <laughs> I, my hope is that everybody can benefit from working with you because it's helped us grow a company and grow a culture and help me grow as a leader. So thank you. Thanks, Elliot. Um, looking forward to more conversations. And as you continue to grow and evolve, I would love to have you back on. For sure. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elliot Felix, the CEO and founder of Brightspot, about the ways he and his team have navigated uncertainty. To learn more about Brightspot and the amazing things Elliot and his team are doing, check out www.brightspotstrategy.com. To learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness, check out my website at www.winniedasilva.com or you can email me at winnie at winifred.org. I'd also love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Reach out and tell me what was helpful about today's episode or tell me about any other suggestions you have for my show. I look forward to sharing another transformative conversation with you next week.